Thank you, Lisa. Ooh. This is our sound check, so <laughs> hopefully it goes well. Good morning, and welcome to our, I usually do welcome, so I'm a little out of practice coming up and do, um, offering the message. For our visitors, um, we, are, we have a preaching group at our church, and we have a rotation of speakers, and we prepare our sermons communally and together. Um, and it is a way that uh, we feel that God has led us to hear his word um, from different people in our congregation. And so this morning, I have the privilege of speaking to you from Psalm or speaking or sharing a message from Colossians 2. We've been in this series for a while, and I hope you have enjoyed it as much as I have. So let's hear God's word from Colossians 2, starting with verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in prayer. Holy Father, guide us. Guide us into all wisdom by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lead us to the treasures of wisdom and knowledge found in your Son, our Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. This is a wonderfully full passage. It's packed with a lot. And clearly, there is a difficult challenge that is facing the church in Colossae. But before we get to the challenge that this church is facing, and to this passage specifically, I want to take a step back and appreciate how Paul has approached 
the people at this church. It's a deeply pastoral approach. So I think it's worth a little closer look. So there is a problem here. There is a challenge facing this church. Paul knows it. Epiphras knows it. They are really concerned. That's why Paul is writing this letter. But Paul maintains a focus on the people. He's, he's concerned about the problem, but he's focused on the people. And so that leads him to first appreciate and see and be thankful for the good work that God is doing in them. He's specific about that. He's not general. You see it in the first chapter. He says, I thank God for you and your faith and your love for the saints. And I've, Paul says, I've heard how your faith is growing now your love is expanding. He says, I've heard about you, and I'm thankful for you. I don't know about you, but that's pretty disarming. That's, that's really beautiful. And I think it's a, it's a challenge for us when we are presented with a conflict to say, okay, let's see the good first. Let's see what God is about. The second thing that Paul does in this pastoral approach is he prays for them. And he shares the fact that he is praying for them. And again, he's specific. He says, I'm praying that God may fill them with the knowledge of his will through spiritual wisdom and understanding. He prays that they may honor God and please him and bear fruit. He prays that they may have endurance, patience, joy, and thanksgiving. And he shares that he's struggling. He's struggling in his prayers for them. His prayers have demonstrate concern and time and effort and intention. As Dave shared weeks ago, he is their spiritual grandfather. And he cares for them as his spiritual children. And then the next thing that Paul does before he gets to this challenge and this conflict, he marvels at Jesus, at who he is and what he has done. And it is soaring language that he uses when he talks about Jesus and who he is. He says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. All things were created by him and for him. In him, all things hold together. The fullness of God dwells in him, reconciling to himself all things. That's Jesus. He is a marvel. And then he focuses on what he did, what he has done. He is making peace through his blood shed on the cross. In Christ, you have been given 
fullness in him, made alive with Christ, sins forgiven, debts canceled, powers disarmed, deliverance secured. This is good news. And all of that is done, past tense, completed. Marvel at what God has done through Jesus. Marvel at our new life with him. And then let us engage with the issue at hand. I have to say the times that I've practiced just one or two of these steps, it has been transformational. And it makes me wonder why I don't do it more. But I encourage you to go back and read chapters one and two. And appreciate the careful and the loving and Christ-centered way that Paul is approaching the challenges at this church. So now let's move into this passage. What is facing the Colossian church is troubling. And we know this because Paul and Epaphras are concerned. They've been struggling in prayer, and they're writing this letter. But the specific issue or issues are, are a bit unclear. And I would say amongst the commentators, there are differing views because the structures of the sentences are a little ambiguous, and the meanings of some of the words are elusive. Specifically, I'll just give you an example, and I'm thinking of the phrase worship of angels that is in our text this morning. Well, commentators aren't sure what this is referring to. It could be something like worshiping of, worship of angels, worship with angels, or worship through angels. All of those kind of leading you in different directions. Or the last phrase of the passage, indulgence of the flesh. There's a word in there that's only been used one time in the New Testament. Here. So I only bring this up because to share how humbling it is to study the Bible and study God's word and to say that I want to stay away from the bunny trails that are in this passage, and there, there are a lot of them. And I want to try and stick with the main concerns as best I can. So the challenge that this church is facing is there are false teachers who have come in and they're promoting dubious practices that are undermining the fullness of Christ and his accomplishments. Now Paul says, now it's, it's tough, I've got to say, because the teachings are subtle. When Paul says that there is an appearance of wisdom, and that is why Paul is praying that God will fill them with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So let's take a closer look at the false teachers. And I mean, we can kind of figure out what they were about. And clearly, Paul is showing us that they are not what they seem. These individuals have become influential in the fellowship of believers. Oh, now we don't have 
the specific, like I said, the clear ideas of what their teachings are. But it's, we can tell that it's a mixture of Jewish and pagan cultic practices. They're kind of weaving their way into the fellowship. But what is clear is that these people are not what they claim to be. So in verse 17, Paul says that they claim to be humble, but they are actually puffed up. They are talking about themselves and their special knowledge and their experience with visions. In verse 18 and 23, they claim to be strict. Don't eat this, harsh on the body. But actually, they're indulging their pride. They have an inflated sense of self-worth because they are doing all these things. And then there's an implication in this that they are kind of invitational, welcoming. Join us. Come on, do this. This is good for you. This is what you need. When actually, their practices are very divisive and exclusionary. They're saying that if you don't do these things, you won't be part of the crowd. If you don't do this, you'll be disqualified. You won't move to the next level and have a real spiritual experience. It's very divisive. These people are not what they claim to be. And Paul is shining a really bright light on them and giving the Colossian church a chance to see them for who they really are. So this brings us to what these false teachers were claiming. And these were dubious practices. So I looked up the word dubious to make sure I was using it correctly. These are practices that are not to be relied on. The false teachers are promoting things, promoting practices that can't do what they claim. They are using these practices to actually, the practices are being used by the false teachers for their own gain, really. And it's troubling because it seems that these teachers are tapping into a deep and true desire of these young believers to follow Jesus well, to follow Jesus earnestly and fully. These teachers are talking themselves up and claiming that they can create a real worship experience and that will bring them closer to God. And Paul is emphatically saying, no, this is not true. And here is why. Paul says the false teachers are focusing on shadows rather than reality. And what are the shadows they're talking about? Well, food and drink, which refers to fasting, and then the temple rituals, including festivals, Sabbaths, and practices. So in the Old Testament, what this, this is kind of code for the ritual practices centering around being clean and unclean. And they're talking about what needed to happen so that one would be clean, to be able to enter into the presence of God and worship him. That's what these practices were pointing to. And so then on the flip side, you, the teachers are saying, well, if you don't do this, then you're, you're unclean. You, you can't enter into 
the practice or the into the worship of the Lord. Now Paul says that these practices and these rituals were actually pointing to Christ. And they have found their fulfillment in Christ. The substance, the true reality, the image of the invisible God in whom all things hold together. There is nothing that these acts can offer that is not already given in Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And Paul says, you have been given fullness in Christ. So Paul says, be wary. Be wary of those who promise a deep worship experience because that is not theirs to give. Stay connected to the head and grow with a growth that comes from God. Paul also says that the teachers, the false teachers are focusing on the perishable things rather than the imperishable. So in verses 21 and 22, Paul refers to the regulations, do not handle, do not touch, do not taste. And he says that those are based on human traditions and commands that are perishable and self-made. So there's a passage in Mark 7, I think, that will help us better understand what's going on here and, and the, the, the conflict that Paul is, is entering into and that Jesus himself also entered into, and it's described in Mark. So hear this, this passage, the story. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw that some of his disciples saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled that is unwashed the pharisees and all the jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the tradition of the elders when they come from the marketplace they do not eat unless they wash and they observe many other traditions such as the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles so the teachers and Pharisees of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Jesus doesn't mince words, does he? This is a form of idolatry that is really subtle. False teachers just like the Pharisees are promoting human traditions and rules as a requirement to be acceptable to God. And it's tempting because there is an appearance of wisdom and humility. And there is a real desire to please God. 
But Paul says, following these rules don't keep us from, from sin or bring us closer to God. In fact, these rules can actually indulge and increase one's sense of pride and self-righteousness. Paul says, we died to this world with Christ. So our life does not come from following rules. It comes from the circumcision done by Christ, being buried with Christ in baptism and raised with him through faith in the power of God. That brings us today. As we face the same challenge in a lot of ways, sifting through the things that are out there, what should we do? What is true? What is good? What is right? We want to please God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. And we are constantly being bombarded with information from endless sources, from news, magazines, podcasts. There are so many messages out there clamoring for our attention. Let's zero down a little bit into the church, into the parachurch efforts. There are so many good options. Newsletters, prayer requests, calls for help, ideas to process and decisions to make. I mean, pick up any Christian magazine. Discipleship looks like this. A true missional church does this. If you want to grow your congregation, follow these steps. How do we begin to organize and process all the information? And the temptation is to focus on the problem rather than the solution, which is already ours in Christ. When I was young, I had a horse and a goat in a backyard barn. I spent hours back there. It was my world, and it seemed really big. There was a stall and a tack room and a corral. I remember carrying water from the house during the winter because there was no um, running water in the barn, and it felt like a very long way to go. Well, about 10 years ago, we were able to go back there with Mark and the kids. And I showed them the barn in the corral. It's still there. Well, maybe not now, but it was then. And Mark's first comment was, this isn't a barn, this is a shed. <laughs> and he was right. It's small. Have you ever had that experience? where you go back to a childhood home or to a vacation memory, and you think, wow, I remember that this was a lot bigger. But now, as an adult, you see it in its truer proportions. I think this captures a sense of what it's like to mature in Christ. As we turn to Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
And as we turn to him, the things that seemed really, really big and confusing, we now realize as we have walked with him, as we have grown, we turn back and we realize, oh, they weren't as big and as confusing as we thought. It's worth remembering and thinking that in Christ, in Christ, are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, we turn to Christ and his table this morning. And in this seemingly small act of eating bread and drinking juice, we proclaim Christ and his good news. We do this in remembrance of him, in remembrance of the one through whom and for whom all things are created. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ, and through Christ to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Holy Father, we need you. We need Christ. There are so many distractions in this world. There are so many messages and promises that pull us from the truth that is in Christ. By your grace, keep us connected to Christ, the head so that we may grow with the growth that comes from you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.